In my opinion, there is always room for premium dining. I think when people say fine dining is dead, I don't believe that at all. I believe that people now more than ever are able to differentiate the difference between, you know, a pretty shitty experience or a pretty average experience or, or an okay experience, but also really crave a great dining experience. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The industry's resilience in the face of a global pandemic has been one of the most inspiring things to come out of such concerning circumstances. With many switching to different modes of operation, some took the time to rethink their offering, take a breath and head in a new direction. Renovations, new concepts, a new dawn of dining down under. Where are we headed and what does premium dining look like moving forward? Anna Pavoni is a co-owner of Omeggio, Kiosco, and a soon-to-be-opened Amare in the Crown Sydney development. Anna, how are you going? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me along. We're really stoked to have you here, and we've got lots to talk about. Um, how, are you, how are you feeling at the moment? It's been a pretty whirlwind four months. Um, it has, yes. Um, for me personally, it's... I've never ever been so busy and so overwhelmed with things to get done um, to deadline really. So it's been really, really hectic actually. People who say they've got time for extra Pilates and um, self-reflection, I just, yeah, makes me start to shake. (laughs) Well, you've got multiple sites and you're going to be adding another one later in the year, which you're no doubt working on already. Uh, can you tell us a bit about some of the changes that you've made? I know you um, sort of changed the fit out of Omegio and and sort of launched a new version of it. Uh, can you run us through what some of the changes you made? Um, so actually pre-COVID we had um, the idea that we would relaunch Omegio. We've been there for 10 years now. So uh, we thought for our 11th year we would actually completely gut the place and start again. So that was already a bit of a plan in in the pipeline. Um, And then when COVID came around and we had to shut, we went from doing, you know, what what was going to be a bit of an eight-day, you know, in and out um, renovation to what we took almost two months in the end and we could do it amazingly, you know. So we could really test dishes and really, you know, um, review um, staffing and, like, really do the renovation properly like we've done some really amazing paint um some stucco paint that you would never have the time for if we'd done it you know before so we were actually lucky in that respect can you tell us what some of the changes are like what's the difference between omegio then and omegio 2.0 um so omegio before i think over the last 10 years we'd really you know we we're really degustation focused it was super you know, fine dining, it was very proper service, it was very detailed um, dishes and that sort of thing. And I feel, I think we all felt as though we'd lost our um, personality a little bit by the end of it. And as a result, we um, have used 2.0 to go back to having a really good time, designing a restaurant that we actually want to eat in, that we want to go to all the time, that is really, really delicious 
more casual, more personality out there. We've put a cocktail bar in the middle of the restaurant. We've even moved um, our pastry section into the restaurant itself. So we're dishing up these amazing, um, well, it's like they're called Coppa Gelato. It's like Italy's answer to the ice cream sundae. And so our chef is actually at the bar dishing up gelato um, in these beautiful cups and yeah, it's really it's really different. Like it's completely and totally a new restaurant. It's unbelievable. A little earlier, you said that you had plans to change your Maggio before COVID hit. Um, is has it that time made you rethink what your plans may have been, and have they altered as a result of the pandemic for Maggio? Um, yes, I think we were on the right path to where we are now but I certainly think that it did make us change the way and and that we were kind of delivering it but also I think allowed us to uh, focus a bit tighter on the new concept I mean it's really hard to talk to your team about your new restaurant that's actually the old restaurant with the old people having to do an entirely new thing. It, it's really tricky to try and bring a new culture and a new message through when you're still actually delivering the old one. So um, I really feel that having the shutdown actually allowed us to tighten the message and get everybody on board with 2.0, the new Ormeggio, you know. <laughs> it was good. What's the response been from the public uh, with the new version of the restaurant? Amazing. Yeah, it's really, really great because I think people are feeling the fun and, you know, it's just buzzy and it's it's like all of the great things that you loved about Ormeggio, the professional service and the amazing food, but now it's got this whole new um, shiny facelift and it's there's so much ambience in the dining room. Our regulars are raving and we've had weirdly heaps of new customers, which in a 10-year-old restaurant in a middle of a pandemic, you wouldn't think that that's something that would necessarily happen. So I think we've been incredibly fortunate. Um, it's actually one of the positives that has come out of this whole experience. And I noticed you had uh, Terry Durack in um, writing a, a review. What was it like getting a review in during a pandemic? So Terry and Jill turned up to Kiosco on our very first night open when they had announced that restaurants could do ten covers. Wow! And so Omicho was <laughs> shut, uh, and we and we were you know kind of working on the renovation and. We um, have a very foreign heavy um, staff. So we only had eight people on JobKeeper, which included Alessandro and Victor, the, the two bossmen. Um, and so we had this really small team and we thought, okay, well, we'll just do it for Kiosco. We'll open for 10. It'll be nice. And the very first day we opened the doors and 10 minutes later, Terry and Joel came through the door. <laughs> so Lord. that was really funny. <laughs> um, it was It was actually really funny because I don't think they've ever been to Kiosco. I mean, Kiosco is not on any kind of radar of any media or, or anything like that. So for us, we were like, wow, this is, we've been here six years and welcome to Kiosco, you know. <laughs> it's a bit different, but sure. <laughs> Was, was it nerve-wracking like with an impending review coming out or is the circumstances a bit different to pre-COVID? Oh, I honestly think the circumstances are a bit different. Like, I mean, obviously 
a good review is a, is great, like absolutely wonderful. But I honestly think that we were so, um, like we were just struggling so much to go day to day and keep on top of everything. I, I'm pretty sure that we were like, uh, the results of the review was probably not on the list of things that we really, really had to worry about that moment. Yeah. <laughs> it was just we had a lot of other stuff to think about, a lot of other priorities. But it was really, it was actually really great and um, to see them because then they also, you know, sort of stuck their head in the um, Ormejo, which was a construction site at the time and, you know, so that was exciting to be able to share that news. We hadn't even told anyone that we were doing it, so it was good. A little earlier, you sort of mentioned, you know, some of the challenges and that the review wasn't really top of mind because everything else was going on. What what were the challenges during that period operating with, and as you say, you had limited staff as well. Um, can you run through those for us? Um, so, well, I, I suppose personally for me, um, as I said, we only had eight people on JobKeeper out of about 50 staff um, and... So everyone was on stand down and for me personally, I had all my office team on stand down uh, except one of my part-timers who was, thank God, managing the takeaway situation uh, for us. But I was doing like all of the normal things I do plus, you know, getting back into figuring out how to, you know, do my EDMs and get on social media and things that I normally try to delegate out because I know they're not my strengths but it was – pretty wild because we were doing things like running online wine sales and you know doing takeaway that we literally have never done before in that uh kind of way and you know plus we had the kids at home so they were in the middle of of everything as well so we had a four-year-old and a five-year-old and uh we had a we also had a a house full of guests so alessandro's mum arrived from italy two days before they closed the border and we had three uh, friends of ours who normally live in China and got stuck here in January. So there were eight of us in our house. So there was wow. also that as well going on. It was <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds more challenging than running a restaurant. It was, it, there was, yeah, there was a lot of bodies around. It was great. Actually, for me, it was really great. I had a really good time um, because I felt as though, yeah, I, I wasn't on my own, even though. Yeah, well, I certainly wasn't on my own. There were eight of us, but um, yeah, it was it was actually a fun time for me in that respect. You like to remain behind the scenes compared to Alessandro, who's in the media a lot. Um, and you've also mentioned that you've been busier than ever during this period. You know, what what are some of the challenges that you've faced in running the restaurant and getting things up and running um, from your day to day that people might not realise goes on in restaurants? Um, I am a cash flow addict, so I'm all about managing not just like reviewing costs, which is, you know, what Alessandro loves. He loves the analysis and, and that kind of side of the data, but I'm all about cash flow. And so uh, there was a lot of that for me. And then also because in the office that I manage behind, we do everything from marketing, HR, you know, PR accounts, all of the reservations and policies and all of that stuff. So I guess for me it was about um, going back into the many, many hats that 
are behind the scenes that people forget about. Plus I was setting up things like, you know, wine sale Shopify sites and, you know, learning how to set up takeaway software and, you know, it's like every single day. And I think this is the, what, I, I mean, one of the things I really like about my job is the fact there are so many hats and you are constantly learning something new and, and um, there's no kind of um, rules to this job. We're just kind of all flailing along doing all of the things, you know. Um, but it's it's fun. It's very challenging and, and exciting. But, yeah, normally I, I do have people around me that I can um, – that I can also talk with, whereas this time it was all on me. What are some of the changes that you've made to operations that um, you'll carry forward beyond the pandemic that you may not have considered previously? Um, so I think, well, one of the big changes that we've done at the actual business, we have sort of split our chef team into three teams. So we've actually introduced this whole idea of having a commissary team. So we have two service teams and then like a prep team sort of thing. That's been a a very massive um, change to our business operations um, that we've sort of brought in all at the same time that we've, you know, we've done 2.0 and we've moved out all this furniture for the other venue. So we're, I don't know, all of these changes that happen at once. So the whole team has to sort of jump, jump into, you know, new payroll systems. And, you know, if you're going to introduce one change, you may as well introduce 50 of them at once, right? Um, so, yeah, I think we've had a lot of changes um, happen down there to past operation, but I think because we've done it all at once, everyone's just accepted and learned and, you know, got on with it, which is great. There's not many operators that have um, had the chance to uh, renovate and relaunch a new business model. What's the restaurant and the group like at the moment financially? What sort of impact has the pandemic had? So, like I said, I'm really addicted to cash flow management. So, right before we shut down, we actually met the team beforehand to like to kind of update them on what was happening and assure them all that we had the money to pay their, you know, entitlements, their annual leave and stuff. Um, and and because we'd already started planning this renovation we'd actually outlaid a lot of money on deposits of furniture and things like that so it was um a very scary moment at one point because we suddenly thought if this happens for six months and there's literally no money coming in and there was no job keeper and there was no um anything at that point um it certainly was going to be um a very uh stressful six months but I mean, JobKeeper has been amazing, even if it is pretty minuscule for us. Um, and, you know, those couple of little helps with the ATO or whatever it is. But I think the benefit of right now is that the suburbs are actually booming. Like the whole, everyone I know who's got a restaurant in the suburbs compared to the city is just saying, this is great. So we are currently on 45% capacity, but it's a full 45% capacity and we're turning our tables. So we're actually overall really happy with how things are right now, even on the limited numbers, because I think customers are more accepting of the fact that you do have to turn your tables, that you do set your timings, that there are minimum spends or, you know, that you have to give credit card details, all of those things that before they might question still do but question a bit now it's like you can implement um things that 
hospitality businesses should always have in place, you know, uh, but people are more understanding about it. So, yeah, but I think right now things are good because um, people really want to get out and they're happy to do the things that you ask of them and also be really um, happy and positive when they're there, which is wonderful. You mentioned just a moment ago about the boom of restaurants in suburbs as opposed to the CBD. Where do you see premium dining heading moving forward beyond COVID? In my opinion, there is always room for premium dining. I think when people say fine dining is dead, I don't believe that at all. I believe that people now more than ever are able to differentiate the difference between, you know, a pretty shitty experience or a pretty average experience or or an okay experience, but also really crave a great dining experience. They want to go to a restaurant that they're confident in, that they trust, that they know their needs are being not just met but anticipated. I think people know quality produce. They are never going to give up on that. I don't I don't believe that premium dining will die. I believe the opposite, in fact. Alessandro is very well known across the country and uh, he's a wonderful man and a beautiful cook. Uh, how did how did all of this start uh, with Omegio, um and the how did you get into the industry as well? Um, so Alessandro and I met um, a thousand years ago. It was almost 20 years ago now. He, he was in Australia on holidays and we met um, in Leichhardt little Italy at that time and um, things just escalated pretty quickly and I went um, back to Italy within a couple of months and then he was back here and it all sort of kicked off from there but he had no English and I had no Italian so it was a fun couple of first couple of years there and then um, with um, with Omeggio I think well with with us I mean I'd sort of always worked in the industry since I was a teenager um, but had been at uni. I was at uni when I met Alessandro. I was studying business and management and accounting and all my friends were getting, you know, big important jobs with DFAT and Deloitte's and I thought that wasn't really for me and we'd always talked about opening a restaurant but hadn't quite got there yet. So I ended up um, kind of choosing a whole bunch of different businesses in hospitality to work and increase my experience and that sort of thing and then Alessandra got this job at the Park Hyde as executive chef and was killing it was killing it just loved the hotel thing was really they loved him it was really great and um, we were sort of going to follow that hotel path of uh, career success and then he had a heart attack so um, we were scheduled to move to Asia and we didn't um, and the day he got out of the hospital after his first heart attack, um, we had a friend of a friend call us who didn't didn't know Alessandra was sick, and he said, "Oh, mate, I've just seen this great site. It's uh, on the water. Um, uh, maybe one day you'd like to open your own restaurant. Um, you know, maybe you should go and have a look at it." And three months later, we were open for business. <laughs> we <Wow>. just. <laughs> <laughs> we were so naive and we just, you know, you just jump into it. I think we didn't really have a clue what we were doing but we, we did it and, as I say, that was 11 years ago. 
So, um, and then Kiosco we did five years later. So that was, that's been really amazing having those two venues side by side that are two completely different offers. Um, and you know, so we've got regulars that come to Kiosco once a week, uh, twice a week, and then come to a medio for, you know, once a month or special occasions and that sort of thing. You're able to, um, offer, um, such different product down there but still um you know do something special at both it's really cool I, I really like it having those two side by side and that's kind of what we're doing in the city as well we'll actually have two venues side by side so that's going to be uh, a similar setup uh, I suppose you mentioned you just sort of jumped into the restaurant and it's a pretty extraordinary story you know, how, how different is the dining landscape now and and Ormeggio and how you operate compared to those early days? I think that's a really good question because I think um, pretty much everyone I know that has first opened a restaurant, they usually say they had no idea at that point either. And I think when you open a restaurant, you know, especially for people who have worked in the industry and they're a really great restaurant manager or a really great chef and they think, well, I can do this, I can open a restaurant, and they don't actually realise um, all of the things that need to be done behind the business. So just like you were saying before, there are a bunch of things behind the scenes that most people don't realise. And I think when you open a new business, I mean, we just got really lucky when we opened Ormeggio. We didn't know anything about, you know, marketing or uh, understand probably as much as we should have about accounts or whatever it might be. But we just opened with a bang. And I think back at that time, the media had a very big um uh, influence on the dining public so uh, probably more so now because there's such saturation with social but but back then if you got reviewed by Sydney Morning Herald oh my god you were we were full for a year because of that review it was it, it literally changed our lives being um, reviewed positively in GT in Sydney Morning Herald in Delicious you know like and, and I don't think it harnesses that kind of power now. So that's a big change and I think really, really challenging for new businesses these days uh, to uh, to not be able to have that kind of kickstart. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty different back then. I think people didn't have as much choice as they do these days. Um, but I just think that we were really super lucky. I really do. Now, not only have you renovated and relaunched a restaurant during the pandemic, you've also been working on one to open a bit later this year. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? I know you've had some experience opening in um, bigger spaces like Westfield as well uh, in the past. Can you tell us a bit about that project and also um, what it's like being part of a, um, a big offering like Crown Sydney? Um, so we are opening a restaurant, yeah, in the Brangaroo Crown Sydney project called Amare, and we'll also have a pizzeria um, cafe next door, cafe, and it is really super exciting because it's basically a project that um, I think is would be really ambitious for us to try and do it on our own, and so having the support of a massive machine like crown is pretty amazing i have to say we're, we're really grateful for it but um it's going to be very very different to a medjo and kiosco totally different it's reminiscent of 
old school, you know, Italian fine dining where, um, you know, the service is amazing. I mean, you know, you're just looking around the room and, and it's like a dance. All the, all the staff are just on fire and the maitre d's, you know, knows your name when you walk through the door and you're just super comfortable that everything's going to be um, amazing. So, yeah, we're really excited about doing this sort of old school um, fine diner with beautiful dishes that you know and love, more traditional Italian um, with a with a you know tableside more Gerardon service and things like that. So wow. it's really yeah, it's going to be really amazing. It's like uh, I don't believe that we have anything like it um, around at the moment. So it's very exciting and it's not bad that it's like right on the water in Barangaroo. It's really going to be quite a special restaurant, I think. So, yeah, really exciting. So that's December, which feels like ages away but is not. So definitely (laughs) need to (laughs) do a few things there. Um, But, yeah, very exciting stuff. Super cool. It's been a really busy period for you. How how have you coped personally with, with the pandemic and the challenges that you've had? Um, it's certainly brought back my anxiety. That's for sure. Uh, I certainly appreciate school teachers more than before. Um, (laughs) I, um, I think the big thing for me, um, throughout this pandemic has been the support network. Um, we have, well, I coordinate, um, a network of female restaurateurs around the country that we call ourselves the Council of War. So that's women and restaurants. And there's just two things that you need to do to be a part of this group. One is be female and second is to be one of the owners. And um, it has been the most rewarding thing I think I've ever done in my whole life. Um, This sort of started off this network a couple of years ago and during this uh, pandemic it has been unbelievable the amount of advice and sharing and support and you know um constant contact with other industry folk it has like I I literally can't even I can't even describe how amazing this network has been um to be a part of during this time because every all of us know a little bit we're all sharing like crazy we're all supporting each other you know Someone might when, when at, right at the start when the whole stand down thing was happening, it's like, oh my god, has anyone got a template for? Oh my god, can you share your policy? Oh my god, can you, you know? And we were just, I mean, really in it together. It's honestly been amazing. I can't rave more about it. <laughs> if anyone is a female restaurateur out there and wants to join, send me an email because it has literally been super amazing. Do you think this experience will change the industry for the better in that way? Um, I think there are a lot of positives, definitely, that come out of this uh, for our industry overall. I think um, one of the things I just mentioned was about um, guests, I guess, being a bit more understanding about the industry and being more grateful for the industry as a whole but also um, just understanding a bit a bit better that when we are turning tables, we're actually doing it because we need to. Like if we didn't have to turn tables, yeah, that would be amazing. Totally would just want people to come and spend five hours in my venue, 100%. But I think 
being able to explain and now people are really starting to understand. So I think that that's definitely a good thing. Um, I think there will be some restaurants that fall off um, in, in September. And, but I think also this can be a really great out for people. Restaurants are, t- it's a tough gig because there's not really an exit plan. So when you open a restaurant, more often than not, there's no, you don't have an understanding of how to get out of the restaurant in the future. That's not part of your process of planning, right? And I think um, they can, you can get stuck really. And I think that this pandemic could potentially be a positive for some people who are looking for an out because it's not a question of pride at that point or anything like that. You can literally blame it on the pandemic. Just blame it on COVID. Like, oh, I've got to close, but it's all COVID's fault. Don't take it personally and just, you know, shut the doors and move on. Um, so I think that there's definitely a positive um, for, for people to have um, that. And I'm not making light of the fact that there are some restaurants that will genuinely close because they actually are closing down and that's really shit. But I also think that... Um, Potentially those businesses, maybe the owners will be really happy to just get rid of it, you know. They can be hard. I've been in a restaurant that doesn't go well and I tell you what, it's not it's not nice. How are you feeling at the moment with Melbourne being locked down and cases in Sydney and, and the future? I think that Melbourne was Sydney's wake-up call. I think Sydney was way, was becoming way too complacent. Um, and I work with a bunch of Italian people, so there's a whole lot of kissing going on, right? And um, <laughs> so I think I think definitely when Melbourne's um, numbers started shooting up and when they suddenly went back into lockdown, um, I think Sydney folk just really sat up straight and went, oh, my God. Uh, like I could see like the actual – fall out of that at my workplace, for example, where the Italians stopped kissing and started bumping elbows again. It was like one day to the next. Everyone's going, oh, yeah, that's right. We need to like stay on top of this, you know. So I think that um, like thank God it wasn't Sydney and I'm really sorry, Melbourne, but it was definitely a wake-up call for us. Fingers crossed it doesn't keep spreading. Well, and all things going to plan, you're going to be opening a, an amazing new restaurant by the sound of things in December. How's it going to feel when you swing the doors open? Oh, my God. I think this year is just – I feel like I'm in a movie. I feel like I'm in some sort of weird sci-fi movie and I don't know, maybe that's the ending, you know, at the end. We'll all pop out and end up eating, you know, cotoletta together by the water. But – like it's just, I don't know, I think it's so surreal and as I say, I mean, through this whole period, literally every day something changes. The rules change, the policies change, you know, numbers change again or whatever it might be and it's really hard to think ahead. It's really hard to forward plan or to dream about, you know, how will you feel when that because it's like if, when, oh, you know, I, I don't know, it's really, I feel like, I don't want to tempt fate by saying how I will feel when things are amazing in the short to medium term future. Uh, But that doesn't mean I won't stop 
hoping that things are amazing in the short to medium term future. Things are good now. I'm not complaining. I mean, I really am not. Things have been really hectic, but um, and really stressful. And as I say, brought back a lot of anxiety for me. But I think overall, right now, personally, Alessandra and I are in a in a good space. Our restaurants are in a great space. You know, Omega 2.0 is killing it. Um, everyone's happy with Kiosco. The suburbs are booming. Like, I don't know, right now things are, things are good. Um, we just have to keep our fingers crossed that they carry on that way. Well, uh, I'll keep all of my fingers and toes crossed as well because I'm very much excited to see uh, Amare uh, later this year. Um, really loved chatting with you today and, and listening to your story. Um, please keep in touch and hopefully see you in December um, at the new restaurant. Yes, definitely. Thanks, Anthony. That's great. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.